Welcome to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. So I'm going to talk today about spiritual covering. Somebody say spiritual covering. It is uh, a term that I think is, is loosely understood by people. Um, for the most part, if we had to give some kind of biblical uh, explanation for what spiritual covering is, how it functions, how it operates. For the most part, I believe most people can't do that. They just know you go to a church, your pastors are covering, right? You join a network, the apostles, the covering. Well, what does that mean? What does it look like? And so um, we are going to delve into scriptures that I believe really speak to what spiritual covering is and the importance of spiritual covering. Uh, we are on a journey in this class of discipleship, our ministries, information technology course. Somebody say amen. amen. Ministry information technology. Um, we are on a journey in this particular part of our program in returning to authentic apostolic Christianity. Authentic apostolic Christianity. Uh, because I believe that that is the move of God that the Holy Spirit is doing right now in the earth, that he's bringing us back to his original blueprint and purpose. And uh, our ability to acquiesce to that and to come into alignment and obedience to what the sovereign Lord is doing, I believe, will result in us seeing the greatest manifestations of God that we have ever imagined. Uh, it's, it's real simple. I think you just do it according to the blueprint. You do it according to the pattern. And then the Lord will do what it is that he spoke and promised that he's going to do. And so uh, in honor of that, part of or the biggest part, I believe, of that return to authentic Christianity, apostolic Christianity, it is the return to the scripture. It is the return to the word of the Lord. It is the return to exegetical preaching as opposed to eisegetical preaching. It is a return to rightly dividing the word of God because it is the word of God that is the sword of the spirit that is sharper and uh, more powerful than a two-edged sword. It pierces between joint and marrow, the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's that discerner. Somebody say amen. And so if we want to see change, if we want to see growth, if we want to see maturity, if we want to see the will of God done in the earth, then we have to be people of the word. Somebody say people of the word. Okay, so let's look at this very quickly. And I'm, we're going to turn to a lot of scriptures today. So I want you to, to record it, take notes. Uh, if, you, if you have a, an actual Bible, um, I want you to highlight it right in it. Um, but I want you to know these scriptures. Somebody say know the scripture. Acts 2 and 42. We'll start there and we'll build a case. Acts 2 and 42. There's no better model for authentic apostolic Christianity than the first century church. Jesus Christ, as God incarnate, had just physically left the planet. And those who were there were the recipients of his direct ministry. So they were the benefactors of having seen him in the flesh. They knew what he smelled like. They knew what his hair looked like. They knew what his breath smelled like when he talked, if they got close enough. These were the people that were literally physically there and were a part of what it was that Jesus Christ began to both do and teach according to how the scripture records it. And so if we want to have a pure understanding of what 
Christianity looked like before it got defiled and contaminated or before it got adulterated, which means watered down, I think that this is the best place to begin. Somebody say amen. Acts 2 and 42 says this, and it says, well, let's, let's go up to 40. And it says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Now, this is the apostle Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. So they, we all know we're there, 120, were gathered in the upper room. They were praying, they were interceding. Uh, the Holy Spirit finally came. We talked about, and I won't really go into it now, but the Holy Spirit's advent was not just coming in to anoint them and give them supernatural ability, but it really was the Lord opening the planet back up to divine connectivity and communication with him. Uh, the day of Pentecost came on the heels of about 400 years of the Lord not really talking to people. Okay, so it was a big deal for John the Baptist to come to prepare the way of the Lord. It was a big deal for Jesus Christ to come. And uh, the fact that God had, in essence, been silent. I don't think God ever stopped talking. There just is no documentation of him talking for about 400 years. Now, the Holy Spirit is coming. He's falling on men and women. And he's now opening up supernaturally, again, the channel that enables men and women to hear and interact with him directly. All right? Somebody say amen. So Pentecost was a huge deal. All right. And so Peter is getting up and this is his discourse. He's preaching. And then it goes into verse 40 and says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So that's, I can't even do it. It's, it's really hard for me to teach the scripture. Can I just tell you that? Because one word just opens up everything and it makes me divert from my notes, but not just your own perversion, but he said, your whole generation has an issue. Okay, so you got to be saved from what? A perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Somebody say they were baptized, and 3,000 souls were added to the church. Talking about new members class, you got 3,000 brand new people joining your church on one Sunday. And they continue steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. What did they do? Continued steadfastly. That meant they did it and they did not stop. There was no reprieve. There was no backing up. Steadfast means steadfast. Somebody say amen. It doesn't mean I came to church for two weeks and got tired and I took three weeks off. Okay? Steadfastly is consistent, it is disciplined, it is orderly, it is continuous. They continue steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine. Say the apostles' doctrine. Say the apostles' doctrine. Say the apostles' doctrine. Not the pastor's doctrine. Not even the teacher's doctrine. Okay? So the vital church, the vitality of the, the, the first century church the authentic Christians did not continue, it did not explode, it was not powerful based on any other doctrine, any other teaching, any other mantle other than that of the apostles. That is extremely important that we understand that. Somebody say amen. We'll deal with that a little bit more, all right? And in what? And in fellowship. So they forsook not the assembling of themselves together. It was important for them to be in fellowship. So that meant that they didn't have a superficial relationship with each other. 
It meant that they didn't have some superficial relationship with the church entity or with the vision of the church. They had heartfelt covenantal relationship with each other that had to it had to bypass all of the fluff. It was up close and personal. I'm with you every day. I'm eating in your house. You're eating in my house. We're not ready for authentic Christianity yet, right? I'm with you. I'm picking your kids up from the bus stop or the camel stop. You picking my kids up from the camel stop. They drop your kids off at the school at the corner under the tree. I'm over there waiting. Somebody say amen. It was continual, steadfast fellowship. Somebody say amen. It says in the breaking of bread. Now we understand that to mean communion. They had constant holy communion. It was important for them to partake in the Lord's Supper. Because they knew by doing that, they were remembering or reordering or putting back together again the body of Christ. They knew that the meal or the table of the Lord was the place to be healed. They knew that it was the place to be delivered. So how am I going to get God's healing power and healing virtue in my life? I'm going to take the, the Lord's Supper. I'm going to take Holy Communion and I'm going to do it with the people that I'm in fellowship with. What else is the Lord's Supper? It is a meal of covenant. So I'm having covenant with you in our daily fellowship. And the covenant isn't even based on our likability or that factor. Our covenant is based on the blood of Jesus Christ. Somebody say steadfast. And then in what? In prayers. We got to pray. We got to have intercession. We got to have times of supplication. We have to have times together on our face before the Lord. This is how the vital church grew. This is how authentic Christianity was established in the earth. Steadfastly, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayer. Okay? So that means that if the enemy is going to fight authentic Christianity, he's going to have to fight us in all of these areas. Because this is God's recipe for success. Somebody say amen. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 4 and 1. Why is the apostles' doctrine important? I'm glad you asked that. 1 Corinthians 4 and 1 says this. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ. Somebody say servants of Christ. Someone say servants of Christ. Now, the implication of the word servant there is not just like an attendant, but it really is like a bond servant. It really is like a slave. All right. So here the Apostle Paul is giving a vocational explanation of what their apostleship actually entails. He's saying we are bond servants of Jesus Christ. OK, another etymology of the word gives us the word minister. Somebody say minister. All right. Minister in our church culture today is just a low ranking preaching person. Right. Less than the elder. Pretty much that's what the minister is. But minister there in their in the construct of their thought was more like a prime minister. OK. Or in a governmental sense, like the minister of health or the minister of finance. This is the person that has been charged with carrying out the dictates and the demands of the person that authorized their ministry. 
Okay, are you understanding that? So he's saying to them that everything that we are doing, that we are direct servants of Christ himself. Okay, we are the conduits of Christ. We are um, the functionaries of Christ. We are the exactors of Christ's mission and assignment in the earth. All right. Okay, are y'all following that? So that establishes the importance of why the apostles' doctrine was important. Number one, we are the direct dispatch of Christ himself. Number two, he said, and stewards over the mysteries of God. So the apostle Paul is saying that not only are we the direct dispatch or deputies or ministers or ambassadors or servants of Christ, but we have been given stewardship over his mystery. So in other words, there are revelations. There are things that God has not yet made absolutely plain to everybody, but we have it. And our job is to keep it. Okay? So if the early church had to continue in the apostles' doctrine, then that means of necessity that the apostles at some point had to begin to dispense what it was that they were given stewardship over. Somebody say Amen. All right. So the church had to continue in the apostles doctrine. We are in an age of reformation and the reformation is not about apostleship. All right. Write that in your notes. The reformation is not about apostleship. The reformation is about us coming back to God's original blueprint and purpose about everything. Okay, but in order for him to do it, he's got to put things in divine order. So you have to understand why 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says apostles first. You got to understand it, because if you don't understand that, you won't understand why the prophets have to be second and the teachers third. Then you won't understand where you fit in with helps and administrations. You won't understand the whole downline of how that system processes, how it works. Somebody say amen. All right. And so you have to understand that the ultimate goal of the Lord and our day of bringing about the reformation is to bring the body to the place of being divine functionaries that can handle every single thing that he has called and commissioned the church to be and to do. That is the intention. Now, we have to deal with adjusting a mindset because everything in our culture and in our education really causes us to be reasoned out of God's rationale. We're only thinking about ourselves. And it, it, it is a trap. I, I can go into churches. I can be somewhere on the road, not here in Jesus' name, but I can be somewhere on the road and I can go into a church and I can look at all the people who the only thing in their spirit is ambition for when they're going to get a mic. They are serving in church. <laughs> it baffles me. They're serving in church. They're tithing. They're doing all the stuff that they're doing. And the only thought is at one point it's going to be my turn. Okay? It's disingenuous at best because they're not satisfied with their salvation. They're only using salvation as an opportunity to get a platform. Right? So, but that comes from a culture that inundates us with making us think that everything has to be about us individually. You get what I'm saying? So it's hard for the psyche of someone in our culture, the mind of someone in our culture to not be on top. It's hard. If I'm in a church, well, I'm just waiting because any moment now, I'm going to be number one. I might be an usher now, but one day I'm going to have my own church. Y'all not saying that. I know it's tight. 
You may be called to be an intercessor, but you got dreams. I'm going to be a prophet to the nations. God may have never called you to do that. You might spend the rest of your life on your knees somewhere in a corner praying for somebody else that's going somewhere. Because in God's kingdom, it is never influenced by the present trend or the culture. Your culture says that it's about you and I can be whatever I want to be. God's kingdom says you make your calling an election. Sure. What did he call you to be? Somebody say amen. All right. So first things first. And this is one of the reasons why it is important that we have to go back to the blueprint and we have to put apostles first because apostleship, because of its status in the realms of God, is always concerned about God's government. See, without apostleship, it's almost like anything can fly. Uh-oh, I'm about to get controversial. Without apostleship, anything can be accepted. I'm asking the Lord if he's going to help me. I don't think he's going to help me. <laughs> I don't mind you being converted and being an entertainer. Get saved, just like the rest of us. You got to come through the blood like the rest of us. I got an issue with you be having a movement, and you just got saved last week. You can't lead people, and you still have on your diapers. You can't lead people, and you haven't learned how to wipe good yet. Because everybody that's following you is going to wind up following the trail of your immaturity. Okay? Now, without an apostolic mindset, the world will rejoice. That's right. Do what you're doing. That's right. They just religious. No. We have a penchant for God's order. Apostleship is going to put structure to that movement. Because the apostle is going to walk in and not just rejoice over your salvation. The apostle is going to be concerned about the indoctrination. The apostle is going to be concerned about whether or not the culture is actually connected to the culture of the kingdom or if it's a worldly culture. The apostle is going to be concerned about which deity is behind the altar. You can call any gathering of people together and put together Christian songs to worldly beats and think it's all worship to God. You need apostles and prophets in that environment to tell you if it's really worshiping God. Because whatever deities you may have been in covenant with before, unless we know you've been delivered, those deities are still there. Yes, sir. I know y'all don't like it. I know. It's all right. I'm not against be convert. We're, we're celebrating your victory. We're celebrating the fact that a pastor came and vouched for your salvation. But the movements belong to God. Yeah. And if he didn't commission you to have a movement, then you need to be in Bible class, not leading a, a national movement. We need to know you've been indoctrinated with truth. We need to know that you have gone through a process of conversion because repentance and conversion are not the same. Repentance is sorrow for sin. It's the changing of the mind. Conversion says your soul has shifted from where it once was in darkness to where it's supposed to be in light. And that's not even your spirit. We're talking about your soul. Your spirit gets saved instantly. The Holy Ghost dwells in, darkness flees, light comes in. It takes your soul's transformation for us to see that you can bear fruits worthy of repentance. And number one, you need to start with your household because the people you in covenant with ain't really believing it the way you believe in it. 
well, this is what he's doing. You know, I just support him. Well, if your salvation didn't impact her and you in the bed with her, then I think you, I think, let's do first things first. Let's not start out on the world platform. But that shows us a society and a culture that's driven by stardom. We create that. So God forbid, and this is not what I believe, he fails and turns. It's everybody's fault. All the people that got behind him, ignore all the religious people. Ignore the traditional people. Keep doing it. God is with you. Is it? We'll see. We'll see. We'll figure it out. Takes a little bit of time. The Lord said don't judge things before the time. God is with you. That's a judgment. We don't know that yet. Just let's watch. Let's watch. 300 people got saved. Thank God. So where did they go after they got saved? Who's their pastor? The scripture says he added to the church daily those who were being saved. He added them to a system that could do more than baby them in their repentance but could bring them into maturity. So when apostles and prophets come on the scene, the measurement shifts because they're looking for something else. They're not looking for happy-go-lucky Christians. They're looking for happy-go-lucky Jesus. <laughs> the apostle wants to make sure Jesus is happy with what's happening. We know you happy. But what is the Lord saying about what's going on? Somebody say amen. Right? And so they're stewards over the mysteries of God. Let's look at this, uh, 2 Timothy, and this is the basis for what it is that we, we teach and we believe. 2 Timothy 3. The Holy Spirit gives me these things in powerful downloads. It just comes into my spirit like, phew, phew. Then I sit there and I try to type it, type it all out. 2 Timothy 3. 16. It says all scripture. Somebody say all scripture. Just the Old Testament. Just the New Testament. Just your favorite scripture. Oh, okay. It says all scripture is given by the inspiration of who? Who? Man wrote it. Inspiration of who? All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, somebody say doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture, say it again, all scripture, all scripture. is given by inspiration of God. Let me give you another scripture real quick. Turn to 2 Peter 1 and 21 real quick. Uh, nope, let's go all the way up to 16 so we get context. It says, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables 
when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Okay? Somebody say, we did not follow cunningly devised fables. Okay? They're saying, we saw what we're talking about. We're going back to apostolic, authentic apostolic Christianity. Right? So we are reading and studying the scriptures of those who were eyewitnesses of what it is that we believe that we can't see. Okay? So that makes what they wrote valid. It makes their account valid. Makes it trustworthy. Somebody say amen. He said, this is not your mama's fairy tale. I'm telling you what we saw. He says, for he received from God the Father the uh, sorry, honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. He's recounting his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Peter is bringing it all the way back. We knew something was going on when the heavens opened and we all heard an audible voice. Somebody say amen. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture, say no prophecy of scripture, no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Let that sit. Apostles are stewards over the mysteries of God. We have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ that is poured out to us. We have teachers that are set in the body to rightly divide the word of truth. Your, your idea of what the scripture says is not good enough. Let that sit down. I know. Let, let's work through that for a minute. Let's just let's sit there for a minute. Your personal, private interpretation of scripture means nothing. Let that sit. This is why the Bible says he chose the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise, because the wise sit there and think they understand it. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. Let me give you another scripture. Keep your finger there. Let's look at, real quick, Romans 10. Stay in 2 Peter. I'm not done with that. Let's go to Romans 10 real quick. Somebody say, teach the word. That's what I'm doing. I started 14. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without what? Without a preacher. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace 
who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by what? Now, we're not just talking about your individual faith about getting your house. We're talking about your understanding of the faith. Faith comes by what? Hearing comes by what? The word of God. How do you hear? A preacher. How do you become a preacher? I go online and get me an ordination. How do you become a preacher? I sit through MIT. How do you become a preacher? No, you have to be sent to preach. I know y'all don't like that. Notice they didn't say called. Because many are called, few are, oh, okay. So you have to pass the calling phase to be a preacher. You have to be sent. The word for sent there is apostolos. Y'all not ready. So you have to carry apostolic dimension in any arena of God sending you to do a work. You cannot just get a mic and start preaching. You cannot just get a certificate and stop. Not if your preaching is meant to uh, enable people to hear. If the hearing is supposed to beget belief in him. See, there's a lot of preaching, but it's not giving us any belief in him. It's not opening our spiritual ears to give us an ability to have faith in who Christ is. Why? Because God never sent them to preach. Great preaching is not good hooping on key. Great preaching is a sure set preaching. It's the word of the Lord. Okay? Y'all got it? Right. So no prophecy of scripture is of private interpretation. So that means that God sends people to help us to understand the correct dividing and application of his truth. You're not sitting in your room getting that by yourself. Not for the masses, you're not. I'm going to let, let that sit there. You're not ready. Now, if you're a sent one, you are because you got to know what to preach. If you're a sent one, you are charged with the responsibility of rightly dividing the word. So you are in your room and mysteries are being revealed. But the problem is we're dealing with a culture that says, but if it's happening for you, it can happen for me because God has no respecter of persons. He's not a respecter of persons, but he didn't send you. So his conversation with you is different because what he's revealing to the sent ones is a word that they got to preach so that they can hear him. My preaching has to open up your ability to hear him. But it doesn't happen, I know y'all not going to like it, but it doesn't happen independently without the sent preacher. How can they hear about him and whom they, wait, let's read it again. I'm going to read it exactly, I want to quote it exactly the way that the Bible says it. I drift away from the person. Are y'all getting it?
How can they call on him? In whom they've never heard. How? Just think about it. We got people in a generation calling on a God that they've never really heard about. It's more than his name. I'll stop there. I don't want to mess y'all up. This is MIT, right? So those of you that are in here, most of you, you're called to preach. So you got to understand the importance of what that calling really means. Y'all got to get the responsibility of it. Look, look, look at me. Anybody that is in... Uh, in, in treating ministry for the sake of whatever you may think is glamorous, please change your mind. Change your thought. Y'all, listen to me. Listen. I was having a conversation with somebody. It was really funny. The other day, uh, a bishop's wife in our city, of a bishop in our city. And she said, one of my friends has been trying to get me to come visit your church. So she said, I went and looked at your live. And she said, I saw on the live you had people lined up and you started waving your hand and everybody started hitting the floor. She said, I ain't coming to your church. <laughs> Jesus said, who do men say that I am? <laughs> you the slayer. <laughs> she said, I ain't, uh -uh. She said, I can't do no floor ministry and I know if I come to your church, I'm going to be on the floor. Uh -uh, I'm not coming. She looked, she was very serious. It'll come back to me. I forget just that quick where I was going. Somebody say amen. People, thank you, Lord. He gave it back to me. <laughs> People look at what they think is glamorous and powerful about ministry. So they ascribe to ministry because of their perception of power. I ain't coming to do floor ministry, but secretly I would love to have an anointing that when I pray for people, they hit the floor. I would love to be the person that can walk into a room, watch this, and you have an entire room full of people waiting for your direction. That's pretty powerful. Somebody say that's powerful. Let's admit that. I got people in here now that got issues with that. <laughs> they, they do, Elder Sam. I'm going to send them to you for counsel. Or Mariah, whoever wants to pick it up. I'm not buying into the furlough thing. I said, what do you mean? Everybody around you just, they want to please you. I said, well, I'm the senior pastor of the church. I said, they're concerned about what I've established as the protocol or what should be. I'm not creating a culture of men pleasers, but I have a standard. And people want to make sure they're meeting the standard. Somebody say amen. So what you're secretly saying, oh, God, help me through this, is that you really wish it was you because I've seen you in your circle. I can't get no help. <laughs> I can't get, I, I eat you, shut up. I've seen how you deal with people that you influence. And the reality is, what you're really saying is, I wish I were more like you. Why? Because people look at that and they think that that's glamorous. Can I tell you a secret? Can I, you ready? You ready? You ready? Talk about being a sent one, a sent preacher. All the hell you go through, it doesn't even register in your mind that people are waiting to hear what you have to say. 
That's not even a thought. If, and now there are some people that they, you know, they got that ego thing going on. And they look for that and they gravitate to people that feed that. I don't think about it. I'm not concerned about it. I just want people to do things right. That's it. I don't get anything off of, they're waiting on you. They want to hear what you think. Most of the time I'm frustrated. I'm like, you don't think yourself? Why are you trying to ask me? <laughs> ask the people that work with me. Most of the time that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking you can't figure that out. You need my involvement in every single thing you do. I got to kick the wheel to keep this thing started and going every single time. That's really what I say. Somebody that was more like that would love that. They would live off of the fact that everybody, what do you need, Pastor? Oh, I need you to do this. I need you to do No, I'm not saying it again. I said it five years ago. I'm not saying it again. That's me. I'm not saying that. People think that there's glamour. I'm afraid to be in the arena of ministry where you got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. I'm afraid of that. Because what if you compromise your salvation and the integrity of the righteousness of the people you lead and you don't know till you get into eternity? Not to say God wants us to be poor because he doesn't want us to be poor, but I'm nervous. I'm nervous. We had a very high-profile leader in the body of Christ succumb to sickness and illness. Prior to that, had tremendous scandal. I heard another man of God talk about some of his encounters with that particular person before he died. And he released a prophetic word to him. He said, you got to fix all of this. You got to go back to the beginning. You got to go back to your roots, etc. Blah, 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 blah. Do your first works over. Then that leader who gave the prophetic word had a conversation with his daughter. All of this is in the, in the tape. And the spiritual daughter said, Bishop, what do you think is going to happen? He said, he'll never repent. It's not going to happen. I don't mind reading it. He said, it ain't going to happen. He said, he has too much money and too much authority and too much power to really make the change. We buried him a year later in the body of Christ. So I don't covet that arena because it looks good from down here, but I don't know how it looks from heaven's perspective down. Not to say, and I'm not, I'm not an advocate for poverty. We don't have to take a vow of poverty, but I'm just saying, you don't know the level of temptation that comes with that level of influence. This person was flying people to other countries to have affairs with them. You don't know what it's like to have your own jet. You don't know that world. The voices that communicate in that world to you when you're leading thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Come on, y'all. So I got to adjust. We, we can't, you can only go after ministry because you have been constrained by the Spirit of God to go after ministry. Because it's a calling that you can't refute or deny. It's a calling that calls you when you're trying to ignore it, Jeremiah. I'm never prophesying again. And then the word becomes like fire in you so that you can't shut up. We've got to get back to a generation of preachers that have been sent to preach. 
I grew up in church my whole life. I served the church my whole life. It's my turn. You don't get a turn in the kingdom. You have a calling. Make your calling and election sure. Am I all right? I got 10 more minutes. Hebrews 5 and 12 says this. By the time when you should be teachers. I'm talking to MIT people now. By the time when you should be an instructor. Watch this. By the time you should be a master. Because a master is someone that has mastery. You need to be taught, again, elementary principles. I got to take you all the way back to first grade. When you should be exemplifying mastery in your life. So how many elementary pupils do we have in pulpits today? You got a pulpit, you got a good sound system, you got a nice church, you got a good following, but the spirit says you ain't past second grade. You got to be, come on, you got to be stretched and pulled into places of maturity so that you have something to give if you've been sent to preach. I don't understand that. You're an elder and you're 25. For what? What are you eldering? What are you eldering? I've been married just about as long as you've been born. What are you elder? How are you presiding over me? I know y'all don't like that. Send this tape to somebody that needs to hear that. What you ordaining 20-year-old elders for? And you got people in your church that are 40 and 50 and 60 and 30 years old. Well, it's not about the age. Yes, it is because you, you don't, your life experience is not even commensurate with where I've already been. I got Bibles older than you. What you teaching me out of the word of God? Bibles older than your existence on the planet that have held together better than you have. You don't just make somebody an elder because it makes you feel good because you can make something. That's what a lot of this foolishness is about. You affirming apostles. that You made more apostles than Jesus did. How? how? There should be a cap. There should be a lifetime cap of how many people you can affirm as an apostle. Jesus only did 12 and one of them was the devil. So it's really 11 and a half. <laughs> you done been in part of 15 affirmations and they have done absolutely nothing. But walk around and demand service and honor. No power. No fruit. Am I still here? Am I helping you? All right, so that's all the introduction. So this is where I'm really supposed to be at today. Psalms 133. <laughs> Let me get through this real quick. Psalms 133. We're talking about spiritual covering. Somebody say spiritual covering. And what the purpose of spiritual covering is and what the importance of spiritual covering is. Psalms 133. You got it? Let me get it.
Somebody say spiritual covering. It says this, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Number one, the devil's against our unity. Because it's good and pleasant for us to dwell together in unity. Okay? The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from where? From the Father above. Proceeds from the Father of lights. Right? So any environment where good and perfect and pleasant is happening is an environment where God is in manifestation. Okay? So unity brings the manifestation of God. Can we, can we conclude that based on that? Right. So the devil fights unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head. Somebody say headship. Say governance. Okay? You anointest my head with oil and the result is my cup runs over. He doesn't start with your cup. Anointing doesn't start with your cup. It starts with your headship. Somebody say spiritual covering. Okay? You anoint my head <clears throat> with oil. My cup runs over. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron. Who was Aaron? He was the priest. Not Aaron the organist. Running down on the edge of what? His garments. Right? Now, what's the importance of garments? Pastor T said covering. Let's turn to Zechariah real quick. Zechariah, the third chapter. Then he showed me Joshua. Now, this is Zechariah caught up in the visitation of the Lord. Okay? He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. That's the accuser of the brethren. And the Lord said to Satan, who? The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And then he asks him a question. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with what? Filthy garments. This is a spiritual vision. We're not talking about he was out in the field working and he dirty. Okay. Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him. This is the Lord answered and spoke to those who stood before him. Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, see, I have removed your what? Your iniquity. So before the presence of the Lord and the host of heaven, your garments show whether or not your iniquities are clean. Angels and demons know how to respond to you based on spiritual attire. It's not what you think about yourself. It's not your estimation. It's not your favorite confession. It's not what somebody told you. It's about what you look like when you show up. So before the Lord, 
gave the command to remove the garments, everybody that was observing this in God's supernatural tribunal recognized that he was a man that had iniquity credited to his account. Why? They didn't have to ask him. They could see in his garments. So God said, take away those 50 garments. And then the Lord said to him, because he may not have understood what it meant, he said, see, now I have removed your iniquity from you. He gives us a garment of salvation, but a robe of righteousness. A whole bunch of people run around in garments. Ain't got no robe. You can't preach to me and all you got on is a garment. I'm... I'm inspecting robes. I'm looking, I'm looking for robes. So your supernatural garments show, watch this, it shows your standing before the Lord. Okay? Now, if this were a Natsar class, and it is not, I would teach to you how your spiritual mantle reveals your rank. And it reveals your authority. Let me keep going because this is actually one of my favorite passages of scripture. He said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with what? Rich robes. What is the robe? He said, I'm putting righteousness on you. You've gone from being iniquitous to righteous. I'm about to put righteousness on you. And he said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So either he didn't have something on his head or whatever was on his head was dirty. He said, put a clean turban on his head. Somebody say clean head. Clean, clean government. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. If, somebody say if. Yes. Somebody say if. Yes. Somebody say if. That means there's a condition. This is spiritual talk. This is spiritual portal talk. We are getting insight into the unseen world. I don't care what they preach to you in this world. This is the world that matters. If means there's a condition, which means this is not a free-for-all. This didn't happen on November 2024. This is eternal. They're in eternity. They're in a place where there's no time. That means whatever discourse is happening right there, it's eternally and perpetually so in his realm. Doesn't change. I'm the Lord. I change not. Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, and when? This is where we're seeing. This is what forever looks like. This is forever talk. He said, if you will walk in my ways, which means that even though you got your clean turban, you can choose to not walk in my way. Once saved, always saved is a myth. You can lose your salvation. You can lose it. You can give it away. You can turn your back on him. You can walk away from him. If you choose not to serve God, what makes you think he want to be with you for eternity? He loves you enough to allow you to choose your own fate. That's deep love. You love, imagine, okay, put it in this perspective. Imagine somebody staying with you because you're making them stay with you. Serving you breakfast in bed. Taking out the trash. Clipping your toenails. Rubbing your feet. Mowing the lawn. 
doing all the chores around the house, taking off the dinner, sitting there across the table, looking in your eyes, and all of this is going on, and the whole time you know beyond any shadow of a doubt they don't even care about you. Unless you're psycho, you're going to want to get rid of them because you know that that is not true love. You know they're going through the motions. Why? Because you're paying the bills. Don't we do that to God? He don't want nobody with him that doesn't really love him. And he loves you enough to look at you in your face across that dinner table, that candlelight dinner table of romance and say, I know your heart is not tainted. You're only with me for the purpose. Because I'm a provider and I'm a healer and I'm a deliverer. So people who turn their back on him seal their own fate. They choose, and he loves you enough to let you choose. If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then, somebody say then, that means the condition was met, you shall also judge my house. Only God can judge me. Well, that's not true. Because he's got people with clean turbans and rich robes that are keeping his ways, that are walking in his ways and keeping his command. He said, then you shall judge my house and likewise have charge over my courts. Charge over his courts. Enter into his gates with what? And into his So now you're opening up praise realms where God's power and glory are manifesting. And you have charge over it. Y'all ain't going to tell me anything. Let me keep giving y'all milk. And I will give you places to do what? Among those who do what? I'm giving you angel trajectory. You will have access to walk in realms amongst these angelic beings that you see standing here before my throne. garments. Do that. Y'all with me? Am I teaching all right? So it's like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. You have to have a garment that can be anointed. You're trying to get an anointing in your hands. You need an anointing on your garment. You need to have an anointing on the thing that signifies who you are to God's invisible realm. See, because when you're anointed there, you don't have to announce your anointing. You don't have to market your, you don't have to do, all you have to do is walk in a room. They'll know there's something about you. They may not be able to put their finger, but they'll know. But you're not doing it for them anyway. The people who need to know will really know. The angels will stand at attention because they'll recognize that the Christos is on you. What is the Christos in the Greek? The anointed one and, and his anointing. There is no anointing outside of Christos. There is no anointing outside of Christ. Okay? So to be anointed by definition means that there is a cohesion 
between Christ and the one who has been anointed. So Christ comes and smears himself into your being, into your garment. If you're anointed, you're carrying Christ, but it's a different measure. Come on, y'all. It's not I've accepted Christ into my heart and I'm a believer. That's not anointed. That's salvation. Anointing comes after that. They accepted Christ. They walked with him for two and a half years. They're not going to accept it. They had no choice. He was in their face. He said, but y'all go wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. That means there was another, there was another anointing. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, he was already in them. Y'all don't believe it? All right, let me show you. This is scripture. We're going back to authentic Christianity. And authentic Christianity is based on what? The Bible. All right, hold on, I'm sure. Huh? Let's go ahead. John 20 and 22. Somebody say teach. John 20 and 22 says this. Uh, I like context. Let's go up to 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, somebody say Sunday, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. Here he goes again in a glorified body, even though he's flesh and bone. He's appearing in the middle of the room, then walk through the door. Said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father, listen, now this is the crux of apostleship because he's talking to his apostles. Watch it. He said, as the Father has sent me, apostello or apostolos, as he has sent me, I also apostello or apostolos, I send you. So in the same way I was sent by my father, I'm sending you. And when he said this, what did he say? He breathed on them and said to them, what? Receive the Holy Spirit. They, were, they already had the Holy Spirit. They didn't receive the Holy Spirit. Y'all don't like this because this is the Bible. They didn't receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They had the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost. Let me mess up all of your theology. Let me sit here and watch it crack. <laughs> Just want to watch it crack, 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 crack. They already have the Holy Spirit. They were already born again. These are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I think Paul being the 12th. Judas is, can't, just can't possibly be a part of the apostles of the Lamb. That he just can't. Okay? Am I still in the Bible? Already had the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. Let's go to one of Acts. Acts 1. Can I start at verse 1 for context? The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now, this was written by Luke. The book of Acts is written by Luke. You all know that? You also know that there is a book of Luke in the Bible, right? And you also know that Luke was not one of the disciples. 
He was not a disciple, but we had two of his books, okay? Just want to tell you all that. That was a little bit of Bible knowledge. Everybody acting like they knew, but y'all ain't know that. <laughs> he said, until the day in which he was taken up, talking about Jesus Christ, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during what? Forty days in speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he had a 40-day class with his apostles. He kept showing up for 40 days. That's profound. Could you imagine sitting in class with the resurrected Christ? They knew him in the flesh for three and a half years at least. Can you imagine he'd have been to hell and back, literally, then ascended to the Father and came back on the earth? He even ate fish with them in his glorified body. FYI, Jesus liked fish. The scripture, he's a, I don't know if he's a pescatarian, but he did like fish. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, they had already received the Holy Spirit. But he said, wait for what? The promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be what? Baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Pentecost for them was not an introduction into who the Holy Spirit was. They already knew the Holy Spirit. They had already received the Holy Spirit. But now they were going to be immersed in the person and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Is it all right? Well, let me move a little bit further. Verse 8. But you shall receive what? Power. power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Witnesses have to give an account. Now, oh God. I walked with you for three and a half years. I saw everything you did. But you can't be my witness yet. I documented your miracles. I was there when you raised the dead. Why can't I testify about what you... He said, you're going to be my witnesses, but you got to wait. You have to wait until you are endued with power from on high. Once the Holy Spirit has come on you, can you imagine... Can, can you imagine how much people in this generation rush into ministry and never waited on nothing? If the people that were there in the morning when Jesus woke up had to wait for something before they could preach. Why you got the mic? Can you just, can you, can I just, can you, can, can you tell me why you have the mic? He said, wait 
until you be endued with power from on high. After the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall have power to be my witnesses. Now you're going to be able to testify of me, not just based on recollection, not just memory, but there's going to be an infusion of the Holy Spirit in you and upon you so that you can testify, watch this, by works of who I am. So when you tell the sick to be healed, they have to be healed. When you tell death to back up, it has to back up. When you declare the heavens open, the heavens got to open. Why? Because you have power to testify of my resurrection. It's never just memory recall. That's why, that's why I was talking to somebody, one of my, one of my spiritual sons in our, in, our, in our Ecclesia Global Network. I was, I was talking, I said, yeah, yeah, you got, the, you got the package right. I said, but you need to go deeper in God. You don't preach from memory recall. You preach from power. You don't preach from what you know in your degrees. You preach because you've been with him and he has authorized you to testify. Signs and wonders got to follow your preaching. That's how we know it's real preaching. That's how we know it's sent preaching. If there's no manifestation, he didn't send you. I'm looking for manifestation. Ask anybody who's ever preached in this church. I always say, I'm going to see you flow after. Call somebody out. Do something because I want to see what's fine. I heard what you said, but I want to see what you could do. Because the proof is not in what you said. You can follow my sermon and repeat what I said and we hear something. Show me what you have been anointed to do. What is the Holy Spirit upon you to accomplish? That shows me where your calling is. Come upon me. So spiritual covering then, Psalms 133, as I'm winding down. My first close. Psalms 133 is about anointing, but it's about the process of alignment that allows anointing to flow. Aaron was the head of the nation, the spiritual officiant of the priesthood. He's a high priest. He was the one in charge with the entire system and institution of priesthood. So what is Aaron's functions? Because the Bible, he's not just haphazardly mentioned there. His function is, as a priest, to be the intermediary between God's world and our world. The priesthood has to deal with the altar. That's why the Bible says in Revelation that he has made us a kingdom of kings and we're people who can worship and officiate at God's altars if we understand the principles that govern that place, right? You just can't, I don't believe you can just take scripture and just quote it and then it's just real for you. I think you need revelation of it. I think it needs application to be true. Can I say amen? I can quote, I can walk on water, I can walk on water, I can walk on water like Peter all I want and go out there and sink. It's not just quoting the scripture. It's the rhema upon the logos that makes it real. It has to be rhema. If God didn't tell you to get out the boat, baby, stay in that boat. You on the carnival cruise ship and wait till it get way out in sea, talking about I'm quoting my, I'm walking on the water like Peter. We not, you not coming back with us. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right now, you not coming back. Ain't nothing coming back but a memory because we not even gonna find your body. <laughs> with your scripture quoting, drown self. 
No, it has to be a rhema. Come on, y'all. I got y'all got it. I got to know that you get that. The word, it has to be a rhema. It has to be a Holy Spirit breathed, revealed word to you for you to take it and apply it. It's people confessing I'm a millionaire and they're broke and they will die broke. Because God didn't say it, they said it. It's people quoting, I got miracle and <laughs> a miracle ministry. Everybody around you did. You can't just quote it. it has to be Rhema. Somebody say Rhema. Rhema. Right. Lord, help me. I feel you. No, I feel you. You're my daddy. This is Jesus' fivefold ministry gift teacher. That's what this is. Jesus, the teacher. Your hand is on there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Right? So it's alignment. Somebody say alignment. Comes on the headship, beard of Aaron, down to his garments. My, my bishop, Tudor Bismarck, teaches it. The headship is the headship of the house. Anointing first comes on the headship. Okay? He says that the beard represents the leadership, which is a part of the headship, but not the top of the head. Okay? So the leadership has to be connected to what? You have never seen a beard walking in a room by itself without a head. And if you do, run. Run or cast it out. Or cast it out while you run it. A beard just walk in here, nobody, no head. Oh, let me get, wait a minute, I just, or the beard walk in with a body and no head. Because you're a leader trying to influence the body, but you're not a part of the headship. Let's ride that wave, Holy Spirit. I hear you. He that hath ear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I make a big deal. <laughs> I feel the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I told y'all he dropped in here about two minutes to nine. Whew. I saw the mist and everything. So I, I just see the Lord came in. I turned around. I said, ooh, he said he here. This <laughs> 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 is going to be a good class. He up in here today. I make a big deal about showcasing leadership in this house. Why is that? It's not to puff them up. It's not to puff them up. It's to show you the people that I trust. It's to show you the people that I trust. Why do I trust them? Not because they're favorites. I trust them because of my experience in the testing of their fruit. Let that sink in. Why does Apostle trust Pastor Tyra? She's the best. <laughs> Show me a picture. She's the best. She is. Yeah. Yeah, they're all ride or die. You know that? But Satan can still get them if they open the door. Judas was ride or die. He didn't know he was fulfilling as it was prosecuted. He was the son of perdition. I think he really meant it for a little bit. Yeah. Because just, just think about it. The conversation Jesus had with Peter, he said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He probably asked about Judas, but he found space in Judas to do it and to keep him. I'm walking with Jesus and the devil just came and got me. No, there was a conversation. Jesus had to give the devil permission to get that close. He didn't just walk up in Jesus church and take his member. He Jesus. There was a conversation. So this is why I admonish them. Don't have something in you that he can get. 
yeah, I'm going to get on your nerves. So that can't be that can't be the litmus test for whether or not you're going to stay. I'm going to be on your nerves. So get over that. <laughs> I'm going to aggravate you. Get over that. I might hurt your feelings unintentionally. Get over that. Like so. So I, I t- walk through all of that first in your mind so that if it happens, you are not shook. So that the devil can easily come in here and push a button to pull you out because he's going to try. I tell every single one of them. I tell you, he's going, he wouldn't be the devil if he didn't. So why do I showcase them? Not to make them a target or a bullseye for the devil. But it's so that you guys will never be persuaded and deceived by people that are walking around as a beard with no head. You shouldn't be getting counsel from people that I didn't tell you should counsel you. I can't get no help. Let me stand up on the chair. Nobody has authority to speak into your life that I did not give permission as the apostolic head of this embassy to speak into your life, especially if I don't know what they said. Nobody. That's control. You call whatever you want. It's going to be whatever it is. Because when I stand before the throne of God, he ain't going to look at me with your derailed life trying to ask me what's going on. I'll have to look and say, Jesus, you know I don't know. Adam, where are you? <laughs> you asking questions, you got the answer to that. I don't know. Adam didn't know where he was. God, I don't know why their life was shipwrecked. I didn't know that so-and-so had them in the corner prophesying to them and taking them out to lunch and telling them what to do with their marriage. I didn't know. Nobody came to me and asked me anything. So if I showcase leaders, it means that I'm willing. And here's the catch. Here's the catch. It means I trust them enough for them to have some latitude to lead. But I trust their submission enough that if I pull them back, that I know they're coming back without a problem. Y'all hear me? So if I don't lift you up as a leader, either I don't trust what's in you yet, (laughs) or I don't trust my ability to govern you if there's an issue. So it's safer for my people that they not be subjected to your leadership. Now, I'll let you lead and do things, but just stay in your lane. Do, do what I've asked you to do. Don't step outside of your lane. You step outside of your lane, you're going to have a car accident. It's going to be me with the 18-wheeler. <laughs> it's going to be me jumping over the median with an 18-wheeler having a head-on collision with you. Because nobody told you to be in that lane. Your lane is safe. Come on, y'all. Let, let, let me, let me, guys, listen to me. Can, can I be really transparent? This is real. This right here is real. And this is life or death. It's my ability to do whatever I have to do to get in God's face to get a response. The king of Syria came after Elisha, and he was in that valley, and the king had promised, I'm finna kill you. And the servant, who's a servant, somebody say servant, so he was under the covering of his leader, was nervous as all get out. What are we gonna do, Elisha? Elisha prayed, God, open the eyes of my servant. So what does that mean? Number one, his eyes were already closed. Had always been closed. 
So it was a realm he could never see. So if it was a realm that he could never see, it meant it was a realm he couldn't interact with, which means that what he saw on the other side of it wasn't his. Open the eyes of my servant. He saw the mountains filled with chariots of fire that were sent to protect the prophet. So Gehazi, because he was under the covering of his Elisha, was a benefactor or a recipient of Elisha's covenant with God that meant that the king could not kill him without going through chariots of fire. Okay? Those angels smoked that army and they turned around and started killing themselves. Because the prophet's covering wasn't just for his life, but it was for everybody connected to his life. Y'all don't have to believe it. You don't have to like it. Next time the king of Syria knocks on your door, call me. And I'll prove it. There are people in here under the sound of my voice that would not be alive if you were not in this church. I'm telling you right now. You don't have to like it, but I'm just telling you it's the truth. You would not be alive. I'm telling you. And that's not to lift me up. It's not about me. If you think it's about me, please go get you a coffee. It's not about me. I'm not this is not Randall. I'm not talking about that. It's this whole invisible thing that's behind me. This is why I'm not dead. Y'all don't get it. Y'all saying yes, y'all don't get it. This is why I'm alive. I'm not supposed to be here. You realize that? I'm me. I'm me. I'm breathing, right? Me. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. Okay? So why did God allow me to be alive? Why did he allow me? Because he knew that I would get to the place that I would say, I'm going to do your will come hella high water. You can trust me to do your will. If I got to do it broken, if I got to do it limping, if I got to do it with dirty garments, trying to get them clean again, whatever I got to do, I'm going to do, I'm not going to back up off of doing your will. So he trusted me with my acquiescence to the call. That's why he let me stay alive. But the devil had some good opportunities to take me out, beloved. And one day I'll tell you my whole story. Not today, because y'all knows it. <laughs> tell us what happened. I will. I might write a book. I'll probably make more money writing a book than telling y'all. Shonday, because the people going to want to know. You know what I realized? That we have a culture of nosiness. Just think about the news. I would just think of the news. They just find stuff to tell, and everybody sit there and watch trying to figure out what happened with stuff that don't got nothing to do with you. We nosy. Fat. Why couldn't the devil kill me? Because God insulated me. Why did he insulate me? Because I'm a prophet. I'm an apostle. So I have apostolic and prophetic angels that guard my life because they know in order for me to ascend into those realms, I have to take on God's enemies. You can't be a real prophet and not fight Jezebel. You can't be a real apostle and not have to deal with God's enemies in the territory and in the places where you've been sent. That's what we do. So what's the enforcement power that makes sure that while you're on the battlefield fighting for God, they're not back home killing your family? It's that insulation. Okay? So if you're with me, you get that. Paula Price sat at that dinner table in front of all of her guests and told me, she said, well, when you left Tulsa, if you didn't go under Bishop Bismarck, you would be dead by now. She said it just like 
that because that is all the price. So you'll be dead by now. I said, I know, because they was all cursing me. I said, I know. Then I respond like that, all of them. I said, oh, I know. <laughs> Just like that. I said, oh, I know. She said, you will be dead by now. Want to know why? Because they were cursing me to death. Because I'd wake up in the middle of the night and see people in her prophetic team standing over me. Their faces. Yeah, I know. I know I would be gone by now. <laughs> I said to my wife, I said, get me out of Tulsa or I'm going to die here. I said, get me out of here or I'm going to die. Let me find something really good to say about the capers. Steve and Tanya, say something real good. Tell them I talked to them and said something good. They could not get me out of Tulsa. People were promising, we're going to pay, we're going to sing dinner. Never happened. Tanya called us and said, we rented a car. You go to such and such a location and pick that car up and y'all get out of Tulsa. We, our stuff had been packed for weeks, standing at, packed by the door, waiting for somebody to get us out of there. I just knew I was going to die any day. You hear me? This thing is real. Okay? So what is the point? What am I making? So when you're in the place that God has assigned, y'all, just do right. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be a perfect church. You're going to have issues. You're going to have issues with people. Just work through it. Just, it's, that's human nature. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where once again we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. We'll see you next time.